You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and it's a Monday. And you know when it's a Monday, we got a lot to get to. Obviously, over the course of tonight, we got to get you ready for Monday night. We have a huge division battle between the Rams at 2-1 and one and the 49ers at 1-2. and two. Uh, A big game for both sides of it. You don't want to miss that at 8.15 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. We'll have some great guests on it. We'll get you all the breakdown you need. Plus, obviously, the U.S. soccer investigation into the women's game, finding systemic abuse and misconduct. We're going to have some guests uh, around that also. We've got a lot we've got to get into, Sarah, but it's a Monday, which means we've got to react to some of what we saw over the course of yesterday, not the least of which is the fact that I'm sitting in a hotel room in Las Vegas looking over a beautiful Allegiant Stadium wearing oh, a Victory Monday oh, shirt. beautiful. So, Look at you. You finally yes, got was, to wear that Victory Monday tee. You know, it feels, feels even better than I would have imagined. I've been singing uh, Victory Monday to the tune of Manic Monday all day, <laughs> feeling pretty froggy. But I'm not surprised by that one because, let's face it, I called it. I predicted it. There was some surprising, were some surprising outcomes, though, in the course of what we saw yesterday and it was a wild day in the NFL. Uh, I, I have to stress this. Uh, going into the fourth quarter uh, of the early games, there were eight games that were within one score. You think about what the NFL has become, it is incredibly packed. And uh, this concept of blowing teams away, for the most part, seems to sort of be dead this year. It's going to be who can win close games week in, week out. And amazingly, we saw three of the best teams in the league continue to do that. I want to start with mm-hmm. the Eagles because they were down 14 nothing to Jacksonville. People were panicking. And then all they did was just calm down, set it in cruise <laughs> control, and then whoop their butts. Yeah, just basically be like, hey, Jalen, uh, can you bail <laughs> us out here? He's like, yeah, I got this. Uh, just unbelievable. And I actually think, you know, sometimes people think it's a cliche or maybe a rewriting of things after the fact, but I do think some kind of uh, uh, issues, what's the word I'm looking for, a, a problem, some sort of, you know, uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but you know what I mean? Like, it's never good when a team just coasts. They need to have adversity is the word I'm looking for. Adversity is a small wooden ship, not diversity. Uh, And they need that adversity so that they can prove that they can get behind and come back. There have been teams in the past that, you know, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, for instance, used to always get the narrative that they couldn't be a comeback team. Um, You know, and, and I think in the case of the Eagles, this makes me even more enthusiastic about them that they got behind like that and instead of collapsing or panicking they managed to work their way back into a win I think that's a really important strong point because I've been very cautious with Jalen Hurts and trying to figure out exactly what the right level of excitement for him is and then you saw what he did in that game Sunday and you really felt like I felt like the Jags came out and gave Philly every hit they could take and they played with a lot of fire Uh, I, I think the Jags are still building to be a pretty good football team it's just that even early on, you, you hit the Eagles, and then you know that they're going to have to go into sort of a different gear, and they found it. Also, uh, Miles Sanders with a huge game. So it, it, it felt like the Eagles were able to step up, stand out, even even though early on it was easy to trash yeah. talk. Much and like- also, also, real quick, I think I did mention before that game, and I think it came true, that Trevor Lawrence had not faced a lot of pressure. He had been super protected and barely touched. And you saw what a team that put the pressure on him did. You know, he had an interception. He had four fumbles. Like, this this was a game where you got to see um, maybe what it will look like a little bit more for the Jaguars as they're building and growing when there's, when there's more pressure on that young QB. 
Yeah, I think that's actually important, too. I mean, Doug Peterson is doing a great job of getting the best out of Trevor Lawrence so far, but they're going to have to go back and self-scout some of what happened to them. Uh, it's uh, much like that game took a different course. The Bills-Ravens game looked at one point like it was going to be a blowout. Then it looked like the Ravens were going to put themselves in a situation to win. And all you see is Josh Allen go out there and do Josh Allen MVP-type mm. things at the end of the game. The Bills sneak out a 23-20 dramatic victory over Baltimore in a, in a game that really felt like it was there to be had for the Ravens and they couldn't take advantage of it. Yeah, this is one of those where the final W in whoever's column it is might make you a little bit too high on that team when it really could have gone either way. I mean, that's a terrible blown lead from the Ravens. That defense is a real issue to consider. But the Bills didn't do themselves any favors. That was a team that should have had a more definitive, I think, victory considering that defense and the dominance that um, Josh Allen was able to show with his legs. And I, I think that that finish was a lucky one for a Bills team because at halftime they managed to come back and show the team that they can be but you're not always going to be able to come back like that in the second half they needed help from the Ravens I didn't love the decision to go for it on fourth and two at the end of the game, fourth and goal from the two-yard line. Mm. I know you've got Lamar and you've got an MVP caliber uh, player, and so it's easy to say just put him in, in his hands and see where things go. But when you're talking about a tie game, I, I don't know, three just felt like it would have mattered. And, and maybe it wouldn't have because certainly the, the Bills just marched down the field and get theirs. But uh, your defense has to – got to at least put yourself in that situation to win in my mind. And Marcus Peters was pretty upset about it on the sideline. It felt like that was a controversial uh, decision, at least the way Peters saw it versus the way Harbaugh saw it. I know they all worked those things out. I just thought it was aggressive for the wrong reason. Yeah, it's hard because normally I would say if you've got Lamar and you've got that set up and you know that on the other side you've got a dominant offense you've not been able to stop. Uh, second half, they gave up almost 200 yards of offense to the Bills. Uh, and they themselves only had 127 yards. You know, I think all of those are conflicting things. On the one hand, you should be able to do that with your offense and you don't trust your defense. On the other, they had not been producing much in that half. I think it was the right decision, to be honest. It was just, it didn't work. Yeah, well, uh, the the Chiefs, everything they did worked. Uh, I'm, let's just yeah. be honest about that. Like, Chris Collinsworth's entire analysis was just like, wait for his turn, and they go, oh, oh, this is crazy. Oh, you're not supposed to be able to do that. Oh, oh, he looks like a grown man among kids. Oh. It was just giggling the entire game watching Patrick Mahomes, and I couldn't blame him. I, I got to be honest. I was sitting uh, at this, this beautiful, the beautiful Raiders headquarters facility in Vegas, oh. sitting there with a bunch of former players, and we're watching Sunday night football. And as Humble I'm watching brag. this happen, uh, no, not it's just a straight brag. And as I'm watching all of this <laughs> go down, all I kept thinking is, awesome, the Raiders get a win, and now they get to play this Chiefs team on Monday yeah. night. All right, yeah. Aaron Judge is in pursuit of 62 home runs to set the mark for the AL home run record. We're going to take it to his at-bat right now on WFAN Yankees radio, radio Network. That's WFAN Yankees Radio Network on the call. Uh, Sarah, I really thought he was going to walk, so I just figured we'd play yeah, walk this way. I thought way, this but was just a, a walk cast, but there's other things we'll broadcast as well. Yeah. 
It, it, don't worry. If you uh, are listening to ESPN Radio, wherever you're listening to it, we will make sure we've got you covered when it comes to Aaron Judge and the race for 62. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you could save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. We're going to keep breaking down all the action from yesterday, but we've got more news. Oh, never mind. I'm going to learn how to speak. The fallout <laughs> surrounding Tua Tungvaloa isn't going any- away anytime soon. Soon. We'll get you our thoughts on it and some more details next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Is this for me? That's my fault, y'all. Like, is this, I, this for is me, my though? fault. I did want to cry after that Bears game yesterday. Like, the amount of time I've wasted in my life watching that dysfunctional team. Oh. <sighs> you know what? It's early in the season, Sarah. And look, as somebody that knows the feeling of winning, it's it's going to come back to you. Like this is this is. I don't even feel good about what I'm saying out Listen, loud. Listen, right I'm not now. taking ESPN advice Radio. from you on how to be <laughs> optimistic about my team. Your team has a win. Like, don't get mm. all chesty over there because you managed to finally finish a game. Look, you got to win a game to win two, right? Uh, we're on. I'm we're aware. On a roll. My team's already done that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's early. It's early in the season. Plenty of time Keep left. Talking, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just going to have to take a sick day next Monday and Tuesday. The Raiders take it on the Chiefs. All right. <laughs> uh, Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. And uh, obviously one of the biggest stories that has carried over into the weekend is uh, the, the situation regarding Tua Tungvaloa and concussions. Now, for anyone that didn't see, the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant who evaluated Tua has been fired. So uh, according to a source, the NFLPA exercised its right to dismiss the consultant. This is important because they each side, the the NFL and the NFL Players Association, can fire the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant without the other side agreeing to it. So the NFLPA, we knew, was going to do an investigation. They did that investigation. They feel that several things were done incorrectly, and as a result, they exercised their right to uh, to fire the the doctor. Uh, this is important because there's a lot of conversations right now, Sarah, about not only why was two in the game, how do we get here, what do you what do we do to make it better? Uh, I think it's brought brain damage and brain. I say brain damage, brain injuries, uh, back to the forefront of people's consciousness when it comes to the NFL. Yeah, and I think one while it's good to look at people who are supposed to be in place to help players and fail at that. I hope that that neurotrauma consultant doesn't become a sacrificial lamb to be able to go, okay, well, we did something, right? Because there's a couple problems. One is that clearly the protocols in place are not enough to sufficiently handle a situation where a player may have been concussed and is at serious risk if he is concussed again in a short amount of time. And also because those protocols that are already not enough are not enforced correctly. It was very clear to me, looking at the NFL verbiage, that there were multiple people who could have observed Tua's behavior in the Sunday game and said, without any doubt, he is a no-go to return. There are signs and symptoms laid out that did not even require anyone to treat or see him or test him personally. And somehow that didn't happen. That's the very bare minimum that allowed the failures to happen again on Thursday. But I just hope that that guy getting fired isn't perceived to be some sort of fix. Because I was listening to Alex Smith with Pablo on ESPN Daily today, and he talked at length about his own concussion experiences. And I just want you to hear a little bit of it, particularly understanding the way the players are going to try 
to get out of testing. Um, and you mentioned Bart Scott on our own air said he used to intentionally blow those cognition tests early in the season so that in a game he would be equally as bad and would be able to get put back in even if he had been concussed. Here's Alex Smith on one of the one of the times that he had a similar experience to Tua. This is what you know we'll get into is the the experts cleared me. I passed I passed the their metric of of a concussion that I I got through and similarly to Tua shouldn't have and and got through it and I went back in the game. And here's a little more I'm going to do my best to pass this thing, you know, and, and, uh, but yeah, no doubt with, without a doubt, again, to, to go back to the, your question though, there, there is some level of half truths that get, that get told, you know, there, there's clearly withholding of information. And, and the motive to do that, to withhold information, to distort the reality of your concussion. How do you explain that? What motivates you to do it? Yeah, it's a I, it's a good question. Um, certainly to play, you know, to get back out there. Yeah, this was my second concussion. Obviously, we haven't touched my first that that cost me my starting job. So, you know, certainly that's sitting there. I had gone through a lot here. I felt like my career was finally taking off in Kansas City, and I uh, didn't want to let that slip through my fingers. You know, it's hard. I'd also been pretty veteran. I at this point got little kids. I I want my brain to be healthy for the rest of my life, you know? So I'm also, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm not naive or ignorant to these things, but you're trying to talk yourself into it as well, mm. you know, in that moment. Yeah, I feel good. You know, yeah, like it's, it was nothing. So yeah, it's hard. And, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that was it, you know, that I, I felt good. I tried to talk myself into that, that I, that I was okay. Yeah, and I think there's so many similar similarities between Alex Smith's situation and Tua's in terms of trying to hang on and prove something. And also, you know, later on he said that Andy Reid didn't let him end up playing in the next game after he was concussed twice in the same game and allowed to go back in both times. And he said, now I'm thankful for that. That tells you everything fits. In those moments, they're going to lie, cheat, steal, do whatever to get back out there, knowing full well what it might do to their future. And then when you talk to them down the line, when they're retired and they want to be there for their families and the rest of their lives, they're grateful to people who step in and save them. And that hasn't happened and didn't happen last night with Cameron Brait either. I think the Cameron Brait point is an important one because for anyone that didn't see it, uh, it, it looked bad, right? He His head collided with uh, Chris Godwin's shoulder as he was running across the field. But what I think was interesting is Todd Bowles said the quote was, he went on the sideline, he complained his shoulder discomfort, nothing about his head. He was checked out three times. You you just say, give him a minute, nothing came out. He went back uh, in until the end of the half. At halftime, he started having symptoms, but they were delayed. He started complaining about that. We tested him. He's in the protocol, kept him out the rest of the game. I don't know the right answer when you've got players that – may not want to protect themselves for various reasons. When you have other players that sort of have this toughness mentality around them that are trying to help guys get back on the field, and you have coaches that are in the heat of the battle. I, 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 don't, understand, I, I don't know the best solution, but it's definitely not working. Like it, You can look around the NFL landscape at this point and say, okay, whatever has been put in place might be reducing concussions, but now you've got to look at it and say it's not fully working. There has to be a way to have whoever the independent neurotrauma consultants are those people have to have a better opportunity to look at somebody and say he shouldn't play. And coaches are going to have to take more time in this game when they know the guys to step out of and say, you don't look right. But I, I just don't know what makes that happen in the middle of a football game. I think a couple things. One, we need to find out, and maybe we should try to have a guest on to talk about this. Um, 
What exactly can be known about a brain post-concussion in the moments just after that maybe would not come up in the tests that Alex Smith and Tua and others have claimed to be able to pass, right? Clearly that is not an accurate assessment anymore or maybe never was and can't be depended on to make the right decisions in those moments. And secondarily, in the end, it sounds ridiculous, it, understanding that we live in a world where we prioritize football and the NFL and all of this over everything else, but err on the side of safety. If there is a player, Tua was obvious. Cameron Brait was another one that they should have been much more careful with. If there's a situation like that and you would like to have that player in, I'm sorry. The decision has to be we are too concerned about what we think just happened. And even if we can't prove it yet or there are tests that are not conclusive, the answer has to be to care more about the player, especially understanding what we know about second syndrome, especially understanding what we know about, you know, getting a second concussion in a short number of days and how that can result in actual death. I'm left to wonder, too, if, if just having somebody in New York that's watching these players is helpful for anyone that's not seeing it on the field. There's, I, I mean, there's I, I'm spotters not sure. everywhere. It, yeah. it exists. They just It can't be less important to them than the money or the relationships or the game. But if it is to the actual guys that are playing, they're going to constantly try and lie about it. And that's the hardest. Like, how do you catch somebody that's trying to fool the system? That's why... I'll continue to say it's a little alarming to have Bart Scott, you know, openly admit in, in an important mm -hmm. moment that he was failing the, the, the test in the summer so that in the fall he couldn't be put in protocol. It, it's it's crazy to think the effort the players go to to tr at this point, the organization's got to protect them. Lewis Riddick is going to join us next. We'll get his thoughts on all the action we saw from the weekend and Monday Night Football next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Going to get you ready for Monday Night Football in a little bit. ESPN Radio is uh, presented by Progressive Insurance, and you can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Call us at 888-SAY-ESPN or tweet us at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Let's bring on one of our faves, ESPN NFL analyst Lewis Riddick. Lewis, just a couple weeks ago, it was kind of a joke when people were asking Jerry Jones about a quarterback controversy. I mean, we got man, our man Cooper Rush killing it. Is it possible that they would consider delaying Dak's return? Um, I guess it, I guess they could now err on the side of caution. That's for sure because. I mean, I think this is this is ideal situation for a GM or a coach when you know you go through the offseason and you're putting together your roster and you think who, who was what does the ideal backup quarterback look for us? Well, you know, by definition in the scouting world, it's a guy who could fill in for four to six weeks, hold down the fort, maybe keep your team at 500 or better, and you don't have to rush a starter back and or you know make some decisions that you know aren't good for your football team as far as trying to get those kind of guys back on the field, meaning starters. Well, Cooper, <laughs> well, damn, I think he's got done a pretty good job, hasn't he? Right. I think they've done a good job. So I think it gives them it gives them flexibility. It, it really does. And in many ways, it is true. I mean, this, this may benefit Dak, not just from a, obviously from a health standpoint, but he's looking at this team going, look, in the end, what am I really charged with? What do people remember most about quarterbacks? You remember when you won or lost. That's what they remember. And for him, he may be thinking, there may be some things I could actually take from Cooper Rush, right? We're always learning how to get better at whatever our profession is, no matter where it comes from. I just need to kind of like do what the offense, 
needs me to do, rely on some of the weapons around me. When I need to be super deck, I'll be super deck. But, man, I mean, there's things that he can really benefit from. And I think this offense, I think in hindsight, this may be one of the best things that happened to the team and to deck overall because he's stepping back realizing that, yeah, I know they pay me a ton of money. I'm one of the top ten quarterbacks in this league without a doubt but I don't necessarily have to put it all on me like everyone thought I needed to before right. the season started. All right, Lewis, so now I need your football mind because most of us just yell into a microphone. You have so much experience. When you're watching Harbaugh go for it on fourth and two from the goal line, not take the three points, and it turns out mm-hmm. drastically bad, what was your reaction for the football decision to not take the points? Like, I get it big picture because I, I kind of I know what the what my eye tells me about that defense. And about how they've been playing, and I know there's people who think, well, you know, you're you're telling your defense you don't have any 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 faith in them by trying to go for it and, and score the touchdown, and that you don't think that they can just all of a sudden magically rise up and get a stop where they haven't gotten a stop on on anybody all season long in these kind of situations. So I got it, I get it. I mean, I I really do. And look, I know there's people who are going to argue uh, and say, look, you you got to kick. You got to kick the the field goal. You got to make it so at the you know if your defense does do a half decent job, maybe Buffalo drives down the field and just kicks the field goal. And you guys go into overtime then because they tie it back up. But just remember this now: Buffalo went down the field easily in that last drive, and they burnt the time off the clock at the end. Not because they couldn't score, but because they didn't want to score, and they figured, hey, you know what? Let's just let's just kind of burn this all the way down and then kick the field goal and walk off and get out of here. They could have easily scored a touchdown, which is exactly what John knew they could have done. So that's why he was trying to go for go for the touchdown and try to go up by a score to make Buffalo have to score in the end, have to. So I, I get it, and that's but Baltimore has bigger problems right now than that strategy at the end of the game, and that is that defense, which looks nothing mm. like a typical Baltimore Ravens defense. Not to your eye, not to my eye, and the statistics back it up. Yeah, 100% agreed. Lewis Riddick is with us. You can follow him at L. Riddick ESPN. Let's talk about the Bucks. Speaking of a team who we thought the defense would be able to carry them long enough for their offense to start to figure things out. You get Mike Evans back. The offense actually looked pretty good last night, yep. considering, and it's actually the mm-hmm. defense that lets them down. Is that as much about the Bucks as it is the Chiefs, or is that just something that this Chiefs team can do to you when they're on? Yeah, I think it's I think Sarah, it's more about them running into a buzzsaw in the Chiefs coming off of a game that they they were a little ticked off about how they played in Indianapolis. The coaches got after them and got in their ends pretty good during the week. And then, from what you hear, Shaq Barrett, the defensive end outside linebacker for Tampa Bay, was kind of talking a little smack about the Chiefs' offensive line, saying, you know, based off of what they had put on film the week before, they thought they would have a pretty successful game against them. Well, I mean, the Chiefs are pros too now. They have the best quarterback maybe we've seen in the past 25 years. And they have an offensive line they sunk a lot of money into. And they're pretty good. And they came out and said, look, I'll tell you what. Just remember, the AFC West, I mean, the AFC runs through us. And we're going to show you exactly why you should probably keep your mouth shut and not poke the bear a little bit. And they put it on them. Now, do I think that's going to be what happens with Tampa the rest of the year? No. No, it's not. They're, they're too good on defense. They got too much pride. 
But the, but the NFL, this is why we love the NFL, because it is a sudden death league in terms of who can win every week. People can, I mean, just the week before, the Col- we've seen the Colts play, right? You see how the Colts are struggling <laughs> right now. They can't beat anybody, but they beat the Chiefs, didn't they? Mm-hmm. You go in their half step, and that's what happens. Well, you, you light a fire under Patrick Mahomes and Creed Humphrey and Orlando Brown Jr. You know, I mean, this is what Joe Tooney, this is what happens. Patrick's going to say, look, man, remember, there's a reason why people get bored with my exploits right now. It's because I do them all the time. They become normal for me. Now I'm going to raise it another level on you. Now I'm going to do, you know, do pirouettes and turn around and have push passes and kind of just dump it in the end zone to my running backs and stuff. I'm going to try and embarrass you. And see, that's, that's why the hell we love the NFL, man. It, it really is because it's such a razor's. It's a razor-thin margin between winning and losing, and mm-hmm. I think we saw that last night. All right, Lewis, uh, let's get your thought on tonight's matchup. we got the 49ers and the Rams. What are you looking for in that one? You know, I'm, I'm Jason, I'm not going to give you anything X and O, next level, and try and you know bore you to death with that BS. You know what this game comes down to? This game in particular comes down to physicality. This one, this matchup, San Fran, L.A. Sat out there in production meetings last year, talking to Kyle Shanahan about what it would take to beat the Rams. And he goes, this game is different than any other because we think we have a formula for beating them. And that is we are just tougher than them. And we, and we establish that on the offensive side with the way we block in the run game and with the way Debo runs the football. That's the mentality. And they came out right from the get-go and they were running up and down the field. And I'm telling you, up in the TV booth, you could hear some of the collisions. It's just really an old-fashioned bare-knuckle fight between these two. And they think they have the tougher team. Even though the Rams, a lot of times, are looked at as being a more talented team. And Sean McVay, Liam Bennett football and all. And I love Sean. I'm just, I'm just jabbing at him. But, that, but that's how this game usually goes. Watch this game tonight. If you see Debo get going early, just watch the line of scrimmage. Watch how these offensive linemen, watch how George Kittle gets after guys like Leonard Floyd. They get after it in a way that you just don't see them get after any other team. They think that they're tougher than the Rams. And I love that kind of stuff. I love that. Love it. And last year when they played on Monday Night Football, Debo and Trent Trent Williams isn't going to be playing in this game, obviously. But Debo and Trent came out. They lead the team out of the tunnel. And Debo had this big Debo chain around his neck, and Trent was carrying a big boom box, and they were dancing, and, the, and it was, I mean, they were going nuts out there. And Kyle said, this is a Debo type of game, hmm. just like the movie. It's a Debo type of game. I want you stealing bikes and snatching chains and punking everybody. <laughs> and that's how they that's – how, that's, those are exactly the words he used when we talked to him. He said, if Debo plays like that, we'll win this game. If he doesn't, we'll struggle. And that's exactly – I'm telling you, he ta- I promise you he told the team the same thing going mm-hmm. into this. Because it's almost like a, it's like a repeat. Yeah. It's the same kind of game. And that's well, what we're that's, looking forward kind of to watching I love it. Watch. I would yeah. love it if Debo pulled out a chain uh, just mid-game. <laughs> just, and I, yeah, I, would, exactly. I would love it. Lewis, always appreciate talking to you. Thanks for the insight. Thank you, brother. You got it. Okay, thanks. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's a Monday. Jason Fitz's team has won a game. 
and he is treating everybody on this staff like he's king you-know-what. I can't wait for next week when the Raiders get absolutely destroyed by the Chiefs. Wait, I don't have to wait. It's Thursday night, right? No, it's Monday night. Thank you very oh, much. And okay, by I do the have way, to wait. I do have to wait. Even though that, you know, look, I'm not anticipating great things for Monday night. I've already looked at the post bye week schedule, feeling pretty froggy about this oh, team. Boy. All he needed oh, was one. Right. All it's we needed was one. Sarah Spain suffering from a rare losing Monday with a surprisingly successful Bears team. And Jason Fitz, who finally got to wear his Victory Monday t-shirt several weeks into the season on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, Let's go over quickly how we did in the old week four games. Uh, Let's start with the bad news. Let's start with the bad news because we're on the topic of our teams right now. I managed to believe in my Bears, which was a tremendous, tremendously bad decision because they lost to the Giants, and it was incredibly ugly. And there were any number of ways that they could have won that game, including the fact that the Giants were down to Saquon Barkley at quarterback, and they still couldn't pull it off. And I did not believe in your Raiders for obvious reasons, and they managed to finally finish a game and beat the Broncos. So right there, I'm down two, and you got both of those right. Why did he turn to Regis Philbin? I, I, I don't know. The only thing I know is that uh, for the weekend on our picks, I was four right, none wrong, wow. one push. The sun yeah. shines on a Fitz's you-know-what every mm. once in a while. Let's go I'm to the just pick over here humming We Are the Champions. I don't know what's happening. It's just I the just want to point out that it was my week to pick, and if you recall, the first week when I picked, we went two and one, and we were in second place. And now that it's back to me, we went two and one and we're in second place. We, uh, I was right about the Bills. Uh, or sorry, it was a push on the Bills. Uh, Bills were minus three at the Ravens. We picked the Bills, so that's a push. But we were right about the Chiefs beating the Bucks at minus one. And we were right about the Eagles beating the Jags by at least six and a half. So the standings, Freddie and Fitzsimmons at seven, four and one, right behind Spain and Fitz and Greeny at six, five and one. Then CNC and KJM at five six and one, and down at the bottom, Barton Hahn four seven and one. You never know if those former players know anything about football fits. Yeah, I mean, I think what we've really shown the world is that uh, we're better than uh, everybody except for Freddie and Fitzsimmons, and they're cheating. I mean, that's the obvious. The only <laughs> yeah, real solution yeah, yeah, is clearly. that you know, I mean, uh, Freddie like Freddie Coleman knows everybody. I think he's like he's just picking up the phone and being like, "This is the outcome we need." But they're trying to make sure that nobody oh, sees it yet. So okay. I think Freddie's just it's he's fixing be a future the future thirty for thirty. Yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, uh, Freddie. It's the thirty for thirty. How Freddie fixed radio. There we go. There you it's, go. It's, it's I love happen. it. I love it. Spain and Fitz. Uh, yeah. So the pick'em going well so far. As for picks, Kenny Pickett. Uh, listen. In the end, <laughs> it was an enthusiastic welcome, and I think fans feel pretty good about the Kenny Pickett experiment at, after his first go round. But he was picked several times. He did not have an incomplete pass in the game. And uh, by that, I mean, he always threw it to his team or the other team. I don't think any of the balls hit the ground, um, at least a partway through his, his uh, entry into the game. Uh, that was how it was going. What did you make of that part of the quarterback adventure that we had this weekend? There were many, and that was part of it. I think the Kenny Pickett thing actually sort of made things make sense because what we've been saying every week is why isn't he playing? When is he going to get in? Why isn't this the, the Kenny Pickett chapter already? So the fact that he came in and had moments where he looked great and moments where it just looked like he didn't know where he was going with the football speaks to why I'm sure Mike Tomlin has had a little bit of hesitation to want to put him in. And this dealer's team, frankly, is just 
lost. Nothing looks easy for them on the offensive side of the ball, and that's particularly difficult when you've got a quarterback that's young and, and just doesn't necessarily have the comfort yet with any of this process to be able to come in and make that huge difference right out of the gate. So, I, you know, the encouraging news to me is that Pickett is going to be the starter moving forward. I think that's a real necessity because at this point, I just got to believe that he needs to get in there and get better so he can get the opportunity. I agree. I don't know that Mitchell Trubisky got enough time uh, considering the concerns around that offense, but I don't think he's going to be the future. And if you can figure that part out, then you might as well get Kenny Pickett in there and see what you got. Give him the time, give him the reps. And like you said, I don't think this team's going places. And listen, he's going to have to take on the Bills in Buffalo on Sunday. I don't know how much he's going to learn other than humility in that one. But you're better off, I think, making the move and seeing what happens versus hanging on to Mitchell any longer. Um, And so I I think there's enthusiasm around at at least seeing what they've got. Speaking of what they've got, Cooper Rush, I mean, <laughs> Dak who, right? I, 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 I'm surprised and shocked at the Cowboys' ability to keep winning, but I'm actually happy for Cooper Rush. I think the rare backup that gets significant playing time and doesn't immediately prove why they're a backup, you have to be excited for them. Yeah, and that's such an important, good way to, to sort of couch this because everybody wants to turn this into a big, huge quarterback debate. I don't want to let the context of the good that we've seen from Dak Prescott suddenly be negated by the context of four games from Cooper Rush. Like, I just refuse to to allow that to happen in my mind. What the Cowboys have learned is that if they need somebody to steer the ship for a minute, they've got that guy. And maybe at some point Cooper Rush gets a look from somebody that's desperate to overpay for a quarterback with a small body of work. But I just I think what we're doing is a little bit of recency bias from a lot of people that are trying to turn it into Cooper Rush versus Dak. That's just because we need things to talk about and not real in my mind at all. Yeah, I agree. And I think also, like, we kind of counted out this Cowboys team before the season began, and then again when Dak got hurt, so we're all kind of uh, revising those takes as we see Cooper Rush continuing to lead them to success. Uh, Bailey Zappi, I will give you $100 if you are not a Patriots fan and or a fan of uh, Western Kentucky University and you knew much about this guy before he got forced into action and almost led the Patriots to victory over the Packers. A little silver lining there. Uh, Brian Hoyer got bumped out. We know that Mac Jones is recovering. And so Bailey Zappi almost gets it done. Aaron Rodgers, I think, had the most important thing to say about this game. This is a game we had to win, for sure. I mean, you can't... Can't be two and two losing to a third string quarterback and not playing great in all three phases. So we had to have this one. This way of winning, I don't think is sustainable because it's just puts too much pressure on our defense. And obviously, I got to play better and will play better. That's the bit. This is unsustainable for the Packers. They got to figure their stuff out because they have real expectations. Meanwhile, Bailey Zappi and the Pats. I mean, we know what to expect of that. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm looking for Bailey Zappi versus Mac Jones. Quarterback controversy. Let me have these nice All things, right. Sarah. Well, how I'm about Saquon at quarterback? You want to keep seeing that because the Bears somehow don't. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career path with flexibility <laughs> and great pay and benefits? Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. Bundle today at Progressive.com. Coming up, we're going to get you set for Monday Night Football between the Niners and Rams with guests representing either side. Coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. 